Um, good evening, everybody. Welcome back to Punch Kick Choke Chat. Uh, we had our week off. I hope you all enjoyed it. Uh, I enjoyed mine. But as soon as the, the five of us you can see right now got back on this sort of pre-call where we just make sure everybody's computers are working, I was just I was calmer than I was last Thursday because this is my crew and all of you watching are my crew. And I'm just so happy we're, we're here and we're back. And by the way, what Sensei Dolphin was just saying, thanks for joining us at 8.30, our new time. Um, I actually asked everybody if we could start earlier because I'm getting old and I fall asleep uh, <laughs> earlier now these days. So um, anyways, uh, thanks for obliging us, everybody, by tuning in earlier. I'm guessing we're going to have a glut of new people show up at 9 because um, I had to reread my email today. But thank you for being here on time. And um, I'm going to pass things over as we always do. We, we get to introduce each other. One of the greatest honors for me is to be considered uh, a part of this group of martial artists. So I always get to introduce Sensei Nicholas Suino. And I mean, the basics that I say every week, he's an eighth Dan in Iaido, he's a sixth Dan in Judo, a fifth Dan in uh, Jiu Jitsu. And he's not just one of my favorite people to talk to and I consider him a teacher, but here's the thing that some of you may have forgotten if you didn't tune into the first week. This man went and lived in Japan. And I don't mean checked it out, I mean lived there. And while living there, trained essentially every goddamn day and then went and to my knowledge was the first non-Japanese person to win his division in uh, sword four years in a row for the first time ever. Now, if you're anything like me, you grew up on blood sport, that's some blood sport shit right there. So I'm just gonna throw it over to uh, Sensei Suino. <laughs> Man, that's fun. Uh, <laughs> I thought about that for a day or two. Uh, Sean, I think you, I don't know if you ever met my buddy Don Pryor, but um, uh, he's a longtime martial artist as well. And he and I always say everything we ever needed to know about the martial arts, we learned from the movie Bloodsport, hmm. right? <laughs> it's just, it's such a classic. Um, I get the pleasure of introducing Randy Delfang, who is um, a great friend, um, uh, Iaido student of mine, training partner, something of a mentor in karate, but I'm going to go at this sideways. I know Randy's about to introduce Hanchi Legacy, and I was reflecting the other day on how all this came to be. Um, uh, Hanchi Legacy showed up with some martial artists at a seminar that I was attending uh, on one of my visits back to the U.S. while I was still living and training in Japan. Um, and he created quite a stir because everybody else in the place was terrified of him and they were doing everything they could to keep him from getting involved in our association. Meanwhile, I'm walking around going, what the <laughs> hell's going on here? Um, but uh, uh, not too long after that, um, I met Randy. We were training in Iaido together um, and, uh, and all of us have continued to train together ever since. Um, and I think Randy will allude to this, but um, Hanchi, you know, you're the, you're the glue that, that brings us all together today. And I just think it's, it's super cool that that must have been 1991, maybe 1990. Um, so here we are in 2020. Let's make it 1990 because I'm not good at math. Uh, 30 years ago, <laughs> uh, right? 30 years ago, we all met and um, a lot of people have fallen by the wayside, but uh, everybody else is still showing up. And, uh, and uh, that's what you alluded to earlier, Sensei Copeland, right? You just keep showing up. Um, until your autograph is worth something. There you um, go. And that's what we're here doing today. So with that said, I'm going to turn this over to Randy. Uh, take it away. Uh, I always get the, I, I get the pleasure to introduce the guest and Hanchi Legacy. And actually, uh, Hanchi Legacy and our guest, Sensei Copeland, uh, they've shared a lot of common ground over the years, uh, a lot of things. 
and they're probably two of the most influential martial artists in my life. So Copeland and I were talking about it, how uh, he was training my cousins when I was like 16. I remember going to his dojo before I was ever in any karate dojo. And when, when I joined with Sense of Legacy and it, uh, I was at the University of Western Ontario. And when I asked Sense of Legacy, hey, the summertime's coming, I have to go home to Windsor, where should I go? Without hesitation, he right away said, you want to go to Conrad Copeland's dojo. That's the place that you want to go and train. Um, so, you know, uh, it just reinforces what I've always said. Uh, for me, Sense of Legacy is the most important mentor in my life, like a parent. Um, he's never once steered me wrong in his teaching or the people he asks me to associate with or tells me to associate with. And I'm just so grateful to be his student and uh, so blessed to have the relationship with him that I do. I, I honestly, I'd be so bold to say we have the one, one of the greatest sense of student relationships maybe in the, the history uh, of all time. Um, but uh, now I want to switch to Sensei Copeland. I want to talk about Sensei Copeland a little bit. Again, a person that I've known for, for 30 years, like I, at least 30 years we were talking about it. Um, if you don't, if you don't realize he's a, he's a multi-time international and world champion. I remember being in Hamilton, watching him fight the first time with Sensei Legacy and Sensei Legacy bumping me and saying, this guy's going to go. Sensei Copeland's going to go. You want to watch this guy. Um, That's right. This, Sensei Copeland can fight. He is a good fighter. Um, he's an eighth Dan. He's trained with some of the most preeminent martial artists around. Uh, uh, names like Don Warner, who Sensei Legacy has also trained with. Uh, names like Richard Kim, who Sensei Legacy has also trained with. They've, they've shared instructors. And uh, I think most recently, Sensei Copeland, it's Tara Chinin is your, your right. most recent um, instructor. Yes. Um, I'm lucky enough to have trained in Sensei Copeland's dojo. And um, what I would say is I'm going to quote uh, Hanchi John Terrian, that dojo that I went to on University Avenue, it had sweat equity in it. <laughs> you, when you went in that dojo, it had sweat equity. You went in... I, you had to walk past Sensei Copeland's office and then you had to go downstairs into the dungeon basement. There was a weight pit and a workout room down there, but it was great. Uh, that dojo was great. It was a great place to train in and um, Sensei Copeland made it that way. Uh, you know, one of the things about him is, uh, I think it's, I'm gonna just be bold and say it's similar to Legacy Sharon Rue. Sensei Copeland is an amazing teacher and his black belts are serious black belts. You're not going to stand in front of one of his black belts on the dojo floor or in a tournament and think you're going to have an easy go of it. Uh, these are serious people. When you go to Sensei Copeland's dojo, it's a serious place to train. Um, Sensei Legacy once said, uh, you know, when you peek your head above the clouds, there's very few heads above the clouds, but you find Sensei Copeland's head up there above the clouds. He's one of the guys that you can see up there. Um, I'm blushing. <laughs> we can tell, Sensei. <laughs> um, you know, for me, I always consider it to be an extreme compliment when a Sensei will let me teach one of their students, when they will let me teach a seminar or when they put me in front of the room. And uh, I want to say that I was thinking about it, and I don't think any instructor has 
has trained more legacy Shurner students in karate than Sensei Copeland. Like I started to think about it. It's, you know, at one point, uh, Patricia Beauregard, one of our world champions trained with you, Sensei Copeland. I know that also Dan Whittall, when he was going to the University of Windsor, trained with you for a while. Uh, four of my younger black belts trained with you most recently. That would be Cole Watson and Kendall Hutchins and Andre said, and my own daughter, Sydney Dauphin, trained with you a lot before they, they went off to the world championships where you coached them. Um, and myself, I've trained with you a lot over the years. I've, I'm really lucky to have. Um, and I, I want to tell a little bit of a story here. I know I'm going on a bit because I can go on a lot of what you said, Sikoplin, but uh, it's sure, funny. I, listen, keep going. <laughs> <laughs> so history often repeats itself, which I said to you the other day when we were talking. And I, uh, I said that Sensei Legacy once had a match and he was a green belt with a person that we all know, uh, Sensei Wally Sloki. And Sensei Legacy did really good for the first five seconds of that match. <laughs> and then, and then Sensei Sloki got up and, and showed him. And uh, I was talking to you and I remember the first time I was in your dojo and I was a green belt and you said, uh, okay, Randy, do you wanna, it was the afternoon class at the university and you said, do you wanna fight? And I, I was so excited to fight and I got all my stuff on and got up there and we bowed to each other and we both started to move. And I, I hit you with a reverse punch, I'd say, and I remember like a couple of the students going, oh, and then I remember instantly being afraid. Like instantly <laughs> being afraid. <laughs> and I remember for the next uh, maybe five minutes or felt like an hour, you very kindly beat the crap out of me for the, for the next five, five to seven minutes. And it's, uh, it's ingrained in my mind and I'm so happy that that, that happened between us. Um, so, you know, the, the other things I wanna say before we get this going is that uh, when Sensei Copeland steps on the floor, he raises the level of everybody that's on the floor, whether he's teaching or not. Even if he's, he's not the one teaching, you're gonna be better if he steps on the floor, he's gonna make you be better. Um, He's a total badass. Like this guy is a total badass. Um, to be honest with you, if you go through my Facebook profile and you see those idiots who are like uh, uh, chi masters and they make people flip through the air and uh, without touching them, <laughs> I always put a comment on there and I always say, I would like to see this person fight Sensei Legacy or Sensei Copeland. Those are the two names I always mention when I see these idiots doing this stuff. Um, Sensei Copeland laughs often, and he's got a great laugh. Uh, he's very intense and serious. Um, I find him to be a very inspirational person. And I will tell you that it's very, he is a person that it is very easy to call Sensei. It just rolls off the tongue easily to call Sensei Copeland Sensei. And that's my introduction for Sensei Copeland. Whew. Yeah. Class act. Thank you very much, Sensei Dauphin. So for the people watching, a couple quick housekeeping notes before we jump into the, the main chat. Uh, first off, you might hear some swearing. Uh, if that's a problem, call your sponsor. Complain to them. Um, yeah, uh, <laughs> if questions. If you, have any, if you have any questions, we want your questions. Your questions will be vetted. 
shite questions uh, and rubbish questions will not get to us. So um, ask something uh, thoughtful, valuable of Sensei Copeland, um, and we will get those through uh, Robert, who is our absolute maestro, who's running the, uh, the back end of this that you're not seeing. Um, Sensei Copeland, I, I got two things I just want to start with. First thing, what I like to ask a lot of our guests is, how does it feel to hear all that? Because you've been so humble in the lead up to this, and you've been well, suggesting like the other guests have more to offer than you. And then you hear this from someone I know you respect. How does it feel? Well, <clears throat> well, it's, it's uh, <laughs> what's the word? You don't hear, I mean, as you start your day, you go about doing the thing that you do based on what your day schedule is. You don't think about, you know, necessarily the people who you affected, who you come in contact with, you say hello, but you continue on. And then to sit here and hear that, I'm thinking, is he talking about me or is he talking about somebody else? So it's, it's, very, it's very humbling, there's no doubt. And uh, it, for me, it's an honor to be here. So I wanna thank you for that. And I did promise um, Randy that, you know, it's not gonna be as fun as the other guests that you've had, because I've listened to the other guests and they're quite excited. And I'm thinking, and he wants me to be part of that group. It's going to be disappointing. But, but I'm here because because Randy asked, and I do have a lot of respect for him. I have a lot of respect for Sensei Legacy. I mean, um, Sensei Suino, I don't know, but I know Randy talks highly of you a lot because he has stopped on his way to Ann Arbor. We have made contact, and he does speak extremely highly of you. So, I mean. He, for some reason, is the, is, is the glue to this little thing right here. And the only, way you can, the only way you can have a good bond is you have to have a good person, good character. You have to be a good glue. And obviously, he's a good glue. So um, I'm not even quite sure if, if, uh, if you're going to be happy with this. Because now that he said all those things, I'm thinking he made a mistake, dude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, you're the only person who thinks so on this call. Um, so let me ask you this, because I actually really love what Sensei said about being a serious person. And, you know, Legacy Shore and Rue, we, we're a very serious club. And I've met you definitely for more than a decade at our Shi'ai. And I run to judge well, in your ring. You're always my first choice. And I would think, you know, you're, you're, you're lighthearted. I love laughing with you, but I think of you as utterly serious. Now, when you think of the martial arts, uh, how important is that and how fundamental is that to separating the wheat from the chaff and a, a real martial artist from someone who maybe plays at it? How important is that seriousness or is that just who you are as a person? Well, I mean, in martial arts, I mean, you can't, you can't really focus on, there's so much stuff to do. There's so much stuff to learn. There's so much things that your body has to be capable of doing. You can't, you can't really acquire those skills by not being serious. So if you're going to train in the martial arts, you, you have to be serious at the training so you can get all the little goodies, get all the, you know, when people are looking around and fooling around, you're paying attention to all the small details. And when you get a chance to demonstrate, you're demonstrating the details that maybe somebody else has missed. That only comes because you're serious. Mm -hmm. So 
I'm going to do what I do with all our guests. And then generally, this format sort of evolved on its own. And then the other side. I don't get any special treatment. You know what you're saying? You're, okay, you're getting the special treatment. Bum, bum, <laughs> so Sensei, I want you to tell, I'm most curious about this stuff, from where you were born, where you grew up until you walked into the dojo for that first time. Tell us as much as you want about that, because I'm so curious about what brings people. And then as you may have heard me say, what, what keeps you there? You walk into this dojo, where, what age, how was growing up for you before that? What, what attracted you? Well, you lifelong have to martial arts. Yeah, you'll have to, you'll have to uh, uh, remind me of the stage of those questions because, you know, I can start back a little bit and tell you, but I might have missed some of the points that you no asked about. Um, well, for one thing, I'm Jamaican, 100% mm -hmm. um, grade A, and I like, well, <laughs> yeah, baby. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, my martial arts started from um, from the prodding of, of a schoolmate. And this is a story that whenever somebody asks me, you know, how did you get started? I always laugh and it's, it's one of those really weird, you know, stories. But I think Sensei, uh, Sensei Legacy can, can relate. Back in the early days, you know, um, early 70s, you know, comic strips were big and, and uh, on the back, this this is how I got started. <laughs> on the back, on the back of the comic strip, I can't remember which one was. There's yeah. the muscle guy. Yeah, Joe Weider. Yeah, Joe Weider was like you know popular, right? Yeah. The muscle guy on the beach, taking the the beautiful girl from the skinny guy on the beach. The, the skinny guy, <laughs> that's his girlfriend. The muscle guy comes over and he takes her, you know, and that you know was how I got started. It said. If you want to learn self-defense or whatever, send away for this course. So yeah, of course, I send away for it. It was interesting because what you got was, you know, a bind, what we call today a binder, you know, paper backing, both sides, and then it's stapled. And inside, when you open up, it's stick figure with, with, you know, text on what you're supposed to do. That's how I started. And in my friend's basement, you know, we're down there doing this stuff, looking at the book and trying this stuff. And it's like, you can't really tell what you're doing and how it's going, but we don't want to lose our girls to the big guy. Uh. <laughs> so that's, that's how it started. That's how it started. Uh, what city in Jamaica was that? No, that started here in Canada. Oh, okay. Uh, how old were you when you came? I actually went to Jamaica over New Year's with my girlfriend, who's down oh. in uh, Ocho Rios in Port Antonio. Oh, nice. You picked a good spot. It was beautiful. I came here, I came here in 66. Uh, so I was about nine, nine or 10 when I got here. Mm -hmm. um, October was cold. I'm coming from... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So just, you, you get up there and you... You yeah. said he picked a good spot. Where's the bad spot? I want to go to that place. Where's the bad spot? Go to Kingston. <laughs> yeah. Kingston, you will get into trouble. No, yeah. but but yeah, coming here in '66 was a was a was a right around the right around the '66 '67 the riots in Detroit. Mm -hmm. That's the same time that I came, and uh, my martial arts started here. You know, a little bit after that, but. Still was 66, so early 70s. 
we started so, to do this whole thing. Independent of the martial arts, because you know you're 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 learning that with your friend in your basement. What was it like? Like, was there culture shock coming to Canada and being near Detroit at that time, or were you kind of like, oh, this feels great, I like it here? Like, did it take an adjustment? And no, I didn't like it here. It was cold when I got here. We came <laughs> we came in October, in October, and with my Jamaican attire, you know, my clothes three-quarter pants. I mean, I remember, I remember the snow drifts. They were unbelievable. <laughs> no, it was, you know, and then, you know, we walked to school. And you know that, you know, sometimes you say you walk to school 10 miles uphill and down, you know, well, we literally walked to school and with all the snow, it felt like you're going uphill. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was, it was quite an adjustment. And the funny part is my dad has always been traveling back and forth, right, to Jamaica and coming to Canada. So, I mean, he was, a, he was a traveler. So when he came out and said, okay, we're going to Canada, he said, and there's winter, there's snow, it's beautiful, it's nice and fluffy and everything. And we're like, okay, this is gonna be great. And we get there and we're freezing. I mean, like freezing, so yeah. That was not what I thought was gonna be beautiful. So what brought you from your basement working with your buddy to go, I need to actually learn this from somebody who knows what they're doing? We just didn't know if what we were doing was working, you know? There's no way to, I mean, we're bouncing off each other, but we have no clue. And that's, that was the thing. We have to go somewhere. We have to learn this, see if we can figure out, you know, um, how this is going to go. And we set out to find a school. I think the first school was in a uh, um, community center, Juilliard Road Community Center, back in the day. Yes. I was, so I was in public school at this time. Mm -hmm. And that's when I started. And Walked into Drulard Road Community Center. And Sensei Dauphin, you know, he, he wants to go here. Like that, that first time, that first period, who were you training with? How did it feel? <laughs> well, the, the thing about the, like I was, I was immediately attracted to the martial arts for whatever reason. And I mean, I always had people in my class who were, very, very good. I mean, I have one guy, as a matter of fact, we still have communication with him today. His name is Fernando. He was the best guy in the club. He was like a brown belt at the time. Soon became a black belt. But I always thought I could do what they're doing. I just need to, you know, learn it. But I want to do that. And I remember going to class, and every time we says, get a partner, I would always run to Fernando because he was the highest rank in the class. I would run to him. I mean, so often that he was like trying not to be my partner because nobody else would get a chance to work out with him. I wanted to work out with that guy because he was that good. Mind you, I mean, I was going home after class with my toes are swollen, I'm walking, limping, can't get my foot inside my shoe because that's, you know, it was rough back then. It wasn't like, you know, back then, when you, when you trained back then, it was, you were, you were hurting every class, you were, yeah. You were bumps and bruises. There was no such thing as, okay, well, that was a nice sweat. No, no, no. This was blood, sweat, and tears. So it was rough. It was rough in the early days. And did you start in Goju-ryu? I started in Goju-ryu, yes. And then went to Ishin-ryu, and then went back to Goju-ryu. So based on, yep. Yeah, as time, as time went on, we, you know, we, we, did, we did the Goju-ryu there. Uh, while I was in public school, went to high school, did Ishinru, and then went back to Goju. 
So based on what you just said, I know the question's coming and I probably know who's going to ask it. So I'll just ask it. You touched upon it. What do you think is the major difference between people walking into a dojo today who are like, I want to be a black belt versus the people back in your, in what we'll call back in the day who walked in and were like, I want to be a black belt. Well, well <laughs> the, the, the big difference today is everybody wants to be a black belt. They want to be. Back then, we didn't go because we wanted to be a black belt. We wanted to fight. We wanted to learn how to defend yourself. You, I didn't want the big guy taking the girl. I didn't have any idea that I needed a black belt to do that. I just wanted to be able to fight. So now people want to be a black belt. The big difference is back then, you were willing to put in the work. And now, they're not willing to put in the work. I don't think they realize you can't just want a black belt. You know, like uh, Randy says, sweat equity. You cannot get it without sweat equity. Yep. And um, in terms of the work, do you find you can make people do the work less easily than, let's say, in the 80s or the 90s? Or do you find that, no, 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 that's your job and you get them there? Or do you get more resistance now? Because the deeper understanding that people think they have of what martial arts is and they want to go too philosophical and less fighting. <laughs> You always, you always have, you always have, uh, you always have a certain core that understand fighting, and they will come in and do the work no matter what. They'll, they'll come early, stay late, and come. I mean, I have guys in my club right now that all they want to do is fight. Can we fight tonight? No, we have other things to do, you know. <laughs> but there is, there is also, exactly. But there is, there is, there is those who don't want to sweat. I mean. We have, a, we have a process when someone comes to the school, like now, you know, and we've always had it, but I think we're having more, everything prior to, you know, pre-COVID, we have more um, expectation where people come in and they want to know, well, what do I have to do to be a black belt or, you know, how hard is it, blah, blah, blah. And I always say, if you don't want to sweat, this is not the place. Mm. So you're coming in to train you know, we don't care how good you look. <laughs> this is not a spa. This is your, this is a workout, you know? So yeah, it's, it's different now in the, in, in the expectation. Back then, you just went in, you just went into, you know, you're going to work. You went to do the work because in the end, you know, everything's going to be okay. But work was expected and you didn't have to coax anyone into doing the work. Mm -hmm. Um. And Sensei Dolphin, I always like him to guide us into this because he has a deeper understanding of it than I do by far. Is just your, your, your tournament beginnings and, and your competition history. Sensei, do you want to you guide the questions through there for us? Sure. I can, I can ask a, a couple of things. Um, you know, one of the things that I learned from Sensei Copeland, besides kicking and punching, it's, it's more than that, right? Like, so here's something that... Uh, Sensei Copeland taught me, it's not if you get hit, it's when you get hit. You are going to get hit and you are going to get hit often. And I am quoting him almost literally words that I have heard him say to me um, before I've gone to tournaments or training in his dojo. Um, and when I said he's a serious person, obviously like he's a great kicker and puncher. Like if he hits you with either hand or foot, you're going to get hurt. But Sensei, one of the things, it's not really a question. I or maybe it is. I'd like to hear your thoughts on ring generalship. You know, 
going in the ring and yeah. that seriousness with which you enter the ring and how yeah. you look at your opponent and what you do with, I mean, I've heard you say it to me. I've heard you coach my daughter through some of these things. Mm -hmm. Where did you learn that? Why do you think that is so important? How does that give you an edge when you're competing? Mm. Well, I think, I think, <laughs> well, life is a competition, you know, from day one, right? Right from the get go, you're competing. And I, I had a, I had a, a large family. I mean, we, we had four brothers go to school at the same time. So we were always in a group. And whenever there's a competition, you know, we needed to win. Life is a competition. When you compete, two things happen. One person win, one person lose. That's it. One person win, one person lose. It's a competition. So my philosophy has always been that ring belongs to you or belongs to me. That ring belongs to me. And my opponent is actually taking up space in my ring. So if I can get him out of that ring, the sooner I can get him out of the ring, the better. We talk about the, the area of the ring. You want to have all that behind you. You own the ring. Their job is to try to get in. And if they're on the edge, bye. You know, it's kind of like, <laughs> like falling off a cliff and then there's nobody there to save you. Absolutely. It, it is... It is crucial when you're fighting off the edge, you do all the things that you think you need to do to get back in the center of the ring. And since I own all of that, I know sooner or later you're gonna have to try to get to the center. And it's, let's say, how about when you're coming in the ring and you gotta look at that guy standing across <laughs> and then you gotta come in and you gotta bow to the center referee. Um, I just love your strategies when it comes to that stuff. Like, and everybody on this call would learn so yeah. much like I know yeah. there's people well, on this call that would learn from what you have to say about those things well I always think <laughs> and sometimes it you know sometimes it gets a little bit I don't know wild or crazy or whatever but I always think that you know you always have you have an idea of where you're going to enter the ring from and sometimes you might depend on how you're situated you might be you know close to the same entrance but if you get to that side entrance first you stay there once you get to that spot, you stand, you don't move. You lock yourself in, okay, this is my spot. And I mean, there's numerous times where the official wants somebody to move to the other side because now you and your opponent necessarily don't want to move because you have the same mindset of you. Well, you don't go. I can mean, I never go. And I even sometimes might say, hey, you should go on the other side. But I never go. And if for some reason the official comes over and drags you, you know, like, come on, you got to go on that side. And he sends you over there. Well, now this guy, he, when he looks at me, he knows I'm pissed. Because now I had to move and I did not want to move. So the only, the only good thing about that is that we're going to have a match. <laughs> so you get to your spot. You look at your opponent. It's, once you're in the ring, it's no longer a game, it's not fun, two, two will enter, one will win, and the win has got to be you. And even if you don't win, when he's out of the ring, he says, wow, that was my best match ever. I won that, but you know, sometimes it's hard to tell. But you have to make sure that you have the mindset where you don't move, you're, I mean, laser locked into that opponent, and if they make you move, they realize that they've just made you mad. 
And it's hard to have a good match when you're thinking how mad this person is and what's going to happen if you, you know, don't get out of the way fast enough. Since yes, any, yeah. any terrors, like through the years, through your competitive career, like, and I know it's many, like your competitive career spans longer than anyone I know. I don't know anybody who's competed as many, nobody, like zero. I, I don't know anybody who's competed as many times as you or as long as you have because you're still competing. Yes. Um, any terrors through the years, like guys that any, like- Any what, just, sorry? Any terrors, like guys that you just constantly, use guys are at each other back and forth. Any names you want to mention, throw a shout out to you. And what was great about those yeah, those guys. Actually, um, um, I did the uh, I did the circuit in well back in the older days. The older days we had, you know, when we had the WKO championships. I mean, we used to compete every two years, you know, on a world tour. And um, there's a couple of guys from the U.S. team: one George Kotaka, uh, Tony Man Tony Man Tony Tony somebody. Mandanka, Tony Mandanka, those guys, I mean, they were, they were scrappers. I mean, scrappers. I mean, George Kataka does kata and he fights. Tony Man, Man, Mandoka, I mean, kata and fight. And these guys are, uh, you know, world-class competitors, right? But probably my, my more scrappier days is the Ozawa Cup it, tours. We have uh, uh, Mike Young, Mike Young from Alaska, um, Shock, Wayne Shockness, and another guy from, uh, from Australia. They would always come to the event. I mean, because it was an international tournament. I mean, this, this event would be like, it's a thousand competitors. Used to go three days. And then it's not only only one day, but it's still, you know, 800, 900 plus competitors. It's a great event. But we were always, we were always battling. We, you go to a tournament and we want to know, I want to know, is Mike there? Mike want to know if I'm there. You know, Wayne wants to know if we're there. And we fight individually in different, you know, different categories, you know, um, there's age division, the Ippon Shobu, Sanbon Shobu, and then we would have, we would combine together to make a team because there's team competition as well. So we battle each other, and then we become a team for team competition. It, it's uh, it was great. I mean, the best fights we had was with those guys together, you know, back and forth but we are the greatest of friends. And like you were saying before, the, you know, the relationship that you have with your, with your instructors, your best fight usually ends up, you know, you, you get a, a friendship out of it because if it happens often and it's out of mutual respect, you can appreciate the other person. So it, it, it was fun. It was, it was fun. Heavy duty. <laughs> there was, it's not touched. It was, you had to fight. I mean, you get, when you're done, like the next day when you wake up, you feel like you got run over by a truck. It, it was, you were badly. <laughs> no, no, seriously, you were badly, for sure. So I want to come to some questions. we got a bunch of questions flowing in, but I actually wanted to throw it to Sensei Suino and just ask about your, your judo competition mindset. 
does that jibe with what he's talking about? How you enter, how you think about the space? Yeah, you know, it's really interesting. Uh, Sensei Copeland, when you were talking, I was thinking about my competitive days in judo. Um, uh, and, you know, some of my mentors in those days said very similar things to me. Uh, one of them was uh, almost, almost word for word. They said, you know, when you go in, you own that, you own that ring, right? That's your ring. Um, and even in the moment, I don't know how to describe it, but you know, if you have that mindset, it changes even the, the, the instant, like how you respond, you know, judo, you're connected to somebody. So it's very tactile. Yeah. Um, there's, there's strategy, but mostly it's just a very feel-based martial art. But so, so your mindset makes a huge difference. Whether you go in there with, with uh, courage or you go in there with uh, fear, right? You go in there with commitment or you go in there with, uh, with uh, 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 maybe I'll win right attitude. <laughs> It, it, it matters to the microsecond. And I'm assuming that's the way it is. You know, I've got a very limited amount of uh, uh, karate sparring in my life. I'm assuming that's the way it is when you, when it comes to fists as well, fists and feet as well. Absolutely. You cannot, you, you cannot think or even worry about, you know, whether or not you're going to win. Your only reason why you're going in the ring is to win. And, you know, sometimes you have, uh, the, there used to be mind games being played, you know, back in the older days where when you're, on the sidelines waiting to go in, you know, guys are doing things in the kitchen and, and warming up, but warming up to intimidate the person that's going to be in the ring with them. And always that kind of stuff is, it plays havoc on the, the rookies because it's like, mm -hmm. well, look at his leg, look how yeah. fast he is, look at, look at all that. But once you're in the ring, you know, all that still has to, has to realize, uh, materialize on you. And I never do that. I never do I will skip, I will stretch. Actually, <laughs> when, when, I'm, when I'm getting ready, when I'm at a competition and we're at the side getting ready to go, I don't talk to anyone. I don't talk to people. I don't, I don't socialize. I'm stretching, watching, looking at everybody. But, you know, I guess it goes back to that seriousness. I've been told that I look mean when I'm fighting or when I'm at the ring. I don't know what I look like. I just know that, you know, this is going to be look a mean. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you look mean. Yeah. I, you know, it's not something that I, you know, I'm conscious of. It's just that I'm getting ready to go in and fight and two things will happen. One win, one lose. And I don't want to get my butt kicked too bad, but I definitely plan on winning. So, yeah, you have to go in with the right mindset that you're going to win. And if you don't win, it was a good battle, 100%. I like those ones too, because I haven't won all of them. And every time I lose a match, I'm the first one shaking that guy's hand and saying, I'll see you next year. For sure. So going back to the shout outs that Sensei Dauphin was asking about, here's a question from Ryan Potter, uh, one of the friends of the club, great martial artist. Who would you say is your favorite person to fight and your least favorite person to fight? My favorite person to fight? Geez, that's, that's a hard question. My favorite person to fight. Or that you have fought, however you want to think about it. Well, I've, you know, I have, I've been fortunate enough to fight a lot of really, really good guys. And like Randy was saying, I mean, we've competed everywhere, like Japan, you know, Europe, we've competed everywhere. And they're always tough fighters. Um, probably one of the, one of the toughest, and I can't even remember his name, but 
I know he's from Kazakhstan. And this was, this was an event back in, back in Vegas. And I mean, we were both hammering each other and nobody would go down. And I mean, nobody would, you know, come to the, come to the plate and say, okay, we've had enough. But he did not, I mean, Kazakhstan is quite a ways away. So he came with that mindset that he needs to go back with the medal. And I was in his way. I mean, it was one of the toughest matches I had. I did win, but it was brutal. I mean, it was brutal. Um, and my least, it just, that was my, my toughest. And what's the other part? Well, just your favorite or your least favorite. And I love that you took favorite and turned it into toughest because that speaks to your mindset if anybody's watching. Yeah. Um, yeah, um, least favorite. Yeah. I don't... Uh, and I, I probably one of the one of the guys in Vegas, you know, um, Mike Young, uh, Wayne Shockness. These guys were they were stature wise much bigger than myself, you know, with height, everything. And for me, it was always the strategy was always I need to be able to get inside of that big body, and and you know do what I have to do and get out. So. I fight seriously, but also my fight is kind of like a game. You know, I need mm -hmm. to, I need to, uh, you know, how, how can I do this? I have, there's a way to do it. How can I do it? So those guys were always good challenges. And you're always going to get hurt. This is one thing for sure. You fight Mike or Wayne, you're going to get hurt. There's no doubt about it. You're going to get hurt fighting them. But I like fighting them. So this goes to the question from Justin Shea, one of the black belts in our club. Hey, Justin, um, as someone who's fought with great fighters on the international stage, what are the important lessons you've integrated then into your fighting? So you've spoken about that a little, but when you're doing these fights and time passes and you start to go, oh, I need to add this because I just learned win or lose. What are some of those key lessons that you can pass on? I know a lot of the younger guys and girls will be chomping to hear this. Um, I think what, what sometimes we get, we fall into the, into the trap of, you know, or emotion or movement, we kind of copy what the other person is doing. And then, you know, you, you become almost like hypnotized by their, by their movement because it seems like it's the thing to do, which is a little bit different from what you normally does. But it's just that, you know, the environment, sometimes it kind of sucks you in. What I've learned is that don't change your style. Don't change and do the same kind of rhythmic movement that they do. Keep them guessing, keep them off, you know, keep them off, off kilter. And, you know, my, my, one of my big thing is my motion, every motion does not go or flow, the flow back and forth, does not stay in the same place. If I move in and move out, every time I go in, I go in a little deeper, move out a little less in a little deeper, move out a little less. So whether it be lateral movements or linear movements, I'm getting closer and closer and closer to the target. And that allows me to, when you fire, you're, you're there without seeing you coming in, you know, and then you're toast. Mm -hmm. This is where I'm such a, an idiot sometimes. I'm like, yeah, the younger kids will want to hear this. And I'm like writing this down right now, going take fucking notes, Sean. <laughs> Um, we, are, we already established that Benson that didn't <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> 
don't I'm not sure. <laughs> no. Robert, do you have these notes for me? Um, from Mike Russell out in Vancouver. Hey, Russell, uh, was there a pivotal moment for you, Sensei, such as a shodan grading or overcoming an obstacle where your martial arts really changed or elevated or evolved? Uh, yes, actually. Um, so I live, I live in Windsor. <clears throat> and woo, woo. Was, yeah, yeah, baby, Windsor in the house. Woo, woo. And when I was, when I was uh, at the black belt showdown level, I'm not quite sure like where, but there was a black belt stage. I had talked to my teacher and I said, you know, I'd like to continue my training because I was thinking that I want to do more than I was doing. And he says, okay, well, um, good luck. Go ahead. And I ended up in Hamilton. So I'm in Windsor. That's like three and a half hours away going to Hamilton. I trained there for a while and then um, going there as a black belt thinking that, okay, this shouldn't be much different, but you know, we're going to go to uh, advance my training. Did a black belt grading and I failed it. I failed it miserably. I mean, miserably. And my partner, my uke, uh, my uke passed. I failed. And I said to Sensei Warner, I says, how soon can I take it again? He says, one year. I said, I'll be back. And in that year, at the end of that year, when I went back for the grading, he says, I don't even know who you are. You are not the same person that was here a year ago. I'm not even sure what it, who are you? That was, I will always remember that because, you know, you have cer certain misconception that you are at a certain level and that you are okay. We've seen your own little fishbowl and then you get into a bigger pool and the fishes are much more vicious, you know? So <laughs> that, was, that, was a, that was a big moment for me, absolutely. And from that point on, I've always tried to maintain that level because I knew I was at a level that I thought I was at, but then there was this much more to go to get to the level that I should be at. And then I've always tried to keep it like that. You know, that's, that's important. So I want to talk through your, you know, your, your training with your different senses into becoming a teacher yourself, but do you fail a lot of students as a result of how important it was for you? Well, we have, uh, do I fail a lot of students? The simple answer is uh, students fail, yes. I don't understand why students don't fail more often. They fail and they know here that, you know, they will fail. And two things happen. When they fail, you can continue practicing to get better. Or we have, we've had students who failed and then quit. You know, but yes, we, we fail we fail students. And I, and I take full responsibility for them failing in the sense that I'm providing them with the information. So I have a certain responsibility there, but they also have a responsibility to keep the information fresh, retain it, and you know, give, it, give it the polish that it needs. Mm. And if they don't do that, then they're going to fail. My students will tell you, they're not afraid of failing. They, I, they, failing is not a, is not a, a scary word. 
at my dojo, it's we we embrace it actually. I mean, I'm not going to get into my life here, but all my greatest uh, achievements have come after failure. Uh, but yeah. I'd like to go around the horn a bit with the senseis, because yeah. I I really like this. If you, you guys don't mind, I'd love to have you weigh in. Hanshi, it's up to you, but since <laughs> Dofa and Sweena, weigh in on your thoughts on that failing and how important it is in your life or for your students. Yeah, interestingly, Sean, I, I've said this before. I don't, like I competed not as much as Sensei Copeland, but I competed quite a bit. And uh, I don't remember every person I beat. Like I don't, but mm. I can tell you every single person I lost to their names stand out in my mm. mind, those failures and they drive you forward yep. in a way like, you know, I, I don't mind saying Dominique Batiglieri, that name, he beat me, he beat me good and he beat me fair. And I tried and that drove me forward. And the next time I met that guy, it was not the same. Um, <laughs> so you either, you either pick yourself up and dust yourself off, like as Sensei said, or you don't right? Or you stay in that spot. You yeah. either embrace the uncomfort, <laughs> embrace that uncomfort, and live in that uncomfort, or you don't. You go, you retreat to a comfortable place. That's my thought. Sensei Suino? Uh, well, yeah, you know, I immediately thought of um, the story I told uh, when, we, when we started this series. Um, the first day I stepped into the, um, into the, the giant judo dojo in, in Yokohama, um, you know, after having practiced judo in the United States for 20 years uh, and done pretty well. You know, my first night in Yokohama, I, I, I told this story, you know, 28, there were 28 black belts in the dojo and one brown belt who was 16 years old. And the guy said, go fight him, right? So I mopped the floor with this poor kid for 15 minutes. We bowed to each other and all the guys looked at me and they said, that was pretty good. Okay, now you, now you fight the next guy, right? <laughs> and, um, so um, I, I spent an hour and a half, you know, for five, 10 minutes, each guy, uh, not, not for medals, but just, you know, just sparring. And, um, and, uh, <laughs> I had never been, I had never been whipped like that. Um, um, and it, and, and it told me exactly how small the pond was that I came from mm. and how big the pond was. I had just stepped into. Sure. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And Hachi, you want to listen or you want to chip in on like the importance of failing and, and, and that shit, it's up to you. Well, not being ready all the time. I, I don't like to think it failing. Uh, I think the guy who walked is the guy who failed, the guy who left, mm. you know. Um, you need those challenges if you want to be a good martial artist. You, you, it's like Sensei Copeland. First, since the first time I seen him, I, there are people that stand out that are good fighters. Some people are good at kata, but I like the fighting. I, I saw Sensei Copeland fight. I was with Randy, I believe, at some world championship, maybe in Hamilton. And you you get to be like that through forging it. You don't you don't get it just by going through the moves or your sensei giving you a certificate or you wearing a belt. You have to go stand in the in the trenches. You've gotta fight, you gotta get beat, you gotta win and everything. And the mm -hmm. failure is in giving up. Oh, no. None of us, yeah. none of us have that face. Mm. We're cut from a different cloth, mm. right? And that's what keeps us going. Thanks. I, I, I love hearing that. And it's one of the privileges of being able to guide this chat a bit. Uh, Sensei Copeland, take us back into the 70s. 
talk to us about those style changes. What brought you back into um, Sensei Warner and then, and then teaching yourself, Sensei Dauphin? Just because Sensei Legacy was talking and you're talking about going back into the 70s, uh, I'd really like to hear about some common ground that both Sensei Legacy and Ooh. Sensei Copeland have, which is uh, thoughts on Richard Kim. You both spent a lot of time training with Master Kim. Uh, you know, Sensei Suino and I both had the opportunity once to meet him. We actually met him at the same time, at the same event at the University of Western Ontario. But uh, I'd really love to hear what Sensei Copeland's thoughts are on Master Richard Kim. And then anything that Sensei Legacy wants to fill in on that too. But we have two people here who trained with him for a very long time. And he's a legend in martial arts. Yeah. He was he was probably the most philosophical instructor that I ever met. I mean, he knew he was a historian. He knew his martial arts history, and he himself, as a martial artist, was you know was quite a scrapper actually. I mean, he was <laughs> he was a scrapper, a troublemaker. He fought a lot. He he did all the things that you know that you know back in the old days you're kind of accustomed to. But he was, he was a no-nonsense kind of an instructor. I mean, I've trained with him many times. Um, and training with Sensei Kim, you want to listen more than talk more. And number one, because he has so much information to part to us. But when he's teaching, he's teaching. And when he wants you to demonstrate something, if you don't do it right, you find out about it in a hurry. I mean, that was... That was one of the, you know, the military type feeling that he brought to the dojo floor um, when we trained. Right up, right up until the, right up until his death. Absolutely. I mean, he was he was like that for years. Ugh. We, I used to be. No, I was never in the in the close guard. I mean, he would call me up to demonstrate certain things during the during the, the class, but with the higher ranks. I would always, I would always kind of shudder, and glad that I wasn't up that close because they they took a good they took a good thrashing for making mistakes, and I was learning not to do those things because they were making the mistakes. Not that I got it right, but I didn't want to be there, you know. But it was what. What places did you, it was it mostly Guelph sensei that you trained with him? Did you go to the United States to train with him? Like where did train you in train the, him? Train in the States, in the States with him. Uh, Guelph mostly, you know, we'd spend a week up there at a time. Um, uh, San Francisco. And I did, uh, there was camp in uh, Vancouver. Yeah, so, I mean, back then we, we used to have a saying, a half cargo travel. So doing martial arts, wherever, Wherever there's a tournament or somebody you want to go mm. see, you get in your car and you went. Because, I mean, they were the ones, we were sorting them out. They weren't looking for us, so you had to go find them. And that was a lot of mileage, a lot of mileage, you know, a lot of, a lot of uh, like Sensei Legacy said, sweat. You know, you got to go face to face. You got to go in the trenches. You got to go out here and get it. It didn't come to you. Nobody brought it to you. You had to go find it. Sensei Legacy, does that align with you? Any thoughts you want to share about Richard Kim and where uh, you? Yeah. yeah, I was uh, I was his student for ten years. 
Uh, he is a great philosopher and wanted to bring karate in a bit of a different direction that um, I liked it to be. I like karate at the street level. And he wanted to bring everything into uh, like parlor house martial arts. And I know that may not sound good, but he had, he wanted to make uh, Hanchi's doctors and Ranchi's uh, professors and things like that. So he, he was moving martial arts in a different uh, direction as far as um, the standards and where martial arts was gonna go in modern day. <laughs> it was important to know that, but can you fight? Can I ask you this? How many classes have you did you fight in in Sensei Kim's? How many did you actually fight an opponent in Sensei Kim's classes? Not a lot. No, no. I, I one time. Yeah, not a lot. Years. In ten years, one time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, so he is the type of guy that I, if I can feel free to say this, that you and I needed because we were. Um, yeah. We didn't hang around the generals. We hung around the uh, the foot soldiers. And yeah. We liked the trenches. We liked it there. I mean, I saw you fight. I, I could tell you liked it there. Yeah. You want to you want to be hit. You want to hit back. You don't want to tell the guy that you hit somebody. You want to hit him. <laughs> <laughs> right. So uh, I find that Sensei Kim had a purpose for me, as far as uh, philosophy, history even some religious, spiritual aspects. Yeah. Yeah. Very res well respected, but um, we parted ways because I, I was looking for something else. And that happens, you know, every, every, every kid has to leave home sooner or later, branch out on your own and, yeah. you know, make your, make your way and see how, how things go. Yeah. He definitely was a big part of my martial arts life. We wouldn't be here right now if it wasn't for the things that he contributed. Yes, that's right. That's amazing. I love that's hearing that. Whew, <laughs> I'm like, I got goosebumps. I love this shit. Thank you, Senseis. <laughs> Senseis Suino, I want to ask you something a, a bit about that because, you know, um, you, you've had a lot of experience in Japan and we all know how much the martial arts are thriving in North America. Like it's intense and huge. Do you find that anything they're saying about Sensei Kim is reflective of the Japanese teachers in general that you had in Judo? Or do you find that that was just him and that, no, the, the, the teachers are badass there and here in your experience? Uh, well, I think, I think it turns out that, that the Japanese are, are like us in the sense that there's a spectrum. So right. we had, you know, they're badass fighters and there are, are, there are people that elevate the, they, they elevate the entire, the entire art, the mm -hmm. entire realm. Um, um, you know, my sword teacher, Yamaguchi Sensei, um, elevated the entire realm. Uh, you know, he was one of those magical people that you only get to meet once in your life who uh, just exist on another plane. Uh, I, 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 will never, I will never meet somebody like him again, and, and, and uh, Hanchi Legacy can attest to how he looked doing Iaido. Um, but, you know, uh, most of the guys I did judo with on a weekly basis um, were scrappers. You know, you start talking philosophy with those guys and they're like, oh, let's go get a beer. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
but there was still a dignity to them. You know, we started this, we started this night talking about how seriously they took it. Right. Mm -hmm. So um, they were dispassionate, cold, but enthusiastic on the judo floor. You know, they just get had great technique. They were absolutely serious about it. Um, but they were in the trenches, right? So, so I would say ultimately my view of folks in Japan is that they have the same range we do. They got guys that love being in the trenches. They're great at what they do. And then there are guys who just are, are um, galactic, right? Mm -hmm. um, and the galactic ones are rare, but you are blessed if you have time with them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I also have this mini theory that most of the martial arts in North America funneled through military guys at the beginning. And therefore there was an inherent like badassness to fucking were military guys that perhaps a lot of the people who were just doing it as a way of life in Japan didn't need because it was just there. They didn't have to go get it through a war. I don't know if that's made up, but that's just a thought I've had. Um, so Sensei Copeland, what brought you in 1978 to go, okay, I've been training, I've been competing. It's time for me to hang out a shingle and teach. Um, my, my thought was, um, I remember the, I remember some of that process mentally is, you know, as I was training, I was getting, I was in my mind, I was getting pretty good. I'm like, Hey, you know what? I really like this stuff. This is kind of cool. And then, you know, uh, my friend Fernando, my senior in the class, we were having constant battles and we were, we were, my outcome was getting better and better and better. So, I remember having the thought, like, one day, I would like to be a black belt. I remember that thought clearly. One day, I would like to be a black belt. That was not the reason why I went there. But after training for a while and seeing how things were progressing, I'm thinking, Fernando's a black belt. I want to be a black belt, too. You know, this, this looks good. <laughs> and somewhere in that, in that, actually, I was close. I was a brown belt, close to becoming a black belt. And I said you know what, I want to teach people how to do this. Those thoughts, I want to teach people how to do this. And that's kind of where that whole idea of starting to teach, you know, kind of uh, grew. And I've been fortunate enough to, I started, I, started with, I started with one student. I used to pick them up, take them to class, and bring them back. We trained twice a week. Uh, <laughs> class was an hour. <laughs> And we were, uh, we were in Oakwood Community Center. His name was Jim, God rest his soul. I pick him up, drive him to class, bring him back, and I'd see you on Thursday, we would drive him to class. And that went, I mean, just the two of us for almost a year, you know? But I remember, I remember saying that we just have to keep going. Eventually, they will come. And I've been very, very blessed in that from the moment I started to teach, I've been able to continue teaching right up until this day. Yeah. Physical wise, you know, men most importantly, mental wise. But uh, I've been very, very fortunate and I count my blessings every day. Um, we've had lots of interaction with students in that time span. So it's, it's been, a, it's, for me, it's been a blessing. If it wasn't for martial arts, I would not be in a good place right now, just so you know that. Mm. Me too. <laughs> um, so that's 42 years. So it's probably hard for you to distinguish from when you weren't teaching. But 
there's some people on the call and even the other night since did OFAN class was talking to some of the people about, you know, suggesting perhaps they start teaching a little more. And what did you get from teaching or what was that impulse that it's like my martial arts won't be complete unless I do this? Well, the cool thing is, you know, just like when I first started, I was thinking, okay, I want to be able to do that. And there is, there is someone who can teach me how to do that. And then when, when, when that, was accomplished, I found myself wanting to teach somebody else because I know they want to be able to do that. Because you always have that, you know, just like, wow, that was really cool. Do you want to learn how to do it? And that just kind of, you know, we call it today giving back, but it was a mm -hmm. sense of you want to share this good stuff, you know, mm -hmm. like this is really cool. I like it. I want to share it. I want to be able to teach a lot of people how to do it. Because I mean, for me, teaching is actually fun. I mean, seriously, but fun, totally fun. And if it wasn't fun, I wouldn't be still doing it for sure. Um, so that's, you, we've got some questions about that. Um, I believe this is from Robert. Robert, if I'm wrong about that, you can text me. What qualities do you look for in your senior students as they start to teach other students? Well, they, Probably the biggest thing is that you have to remember is that as a student, you have to remember that the teacher or the, no, as a teacher, that the student doesn't, the student doesn't, doesn't, the student is not going to learn the way you learned when you were a teacher. And sometimes, you know, um, you'll find that we train hard, we worked hard. My guys, we go hard, but when they're teaching, you know, a green belt, they can't teach the green belt the way I taught them. And that is, that is something that sometimes we forget because we want everyone to get it the same way, you know, have the same, but you can't give it to them the same way, maybe smaller chunks or whatever the case is. So being able to understand that, okay, this, com this comes into you in a fire hose where you have to put it out in a garden hose. That way they can get it. Eventually they'll be able to handle the fire hose. But right mm -hmm. now you have to be able to, you know, change it a little bit, filter it out a little bit. That's so that, that's important for instructors, I think. Thank you, Sensei. And then uh, another question we got from Justin Shea, what's your definition of an ideal student? What can students do to be the best students? Well, you gotta be coachable. You gotta listen. You gotta follow instructions. And if you, have, if you have questions, they have to be good questions. But those are, those are important things because, I mean, if, you, if Randy and I are having a conversation, we can have a conversation about all, and we have, about all kinds of stuff, but I'm not asking him dumb questions. You're not asking me dumb questions. But we're having a conversation, you know, about things and, and they're, they're fun or important. I mean, when you leave, it's like, yeah, okay, that was great. I, I got that. So as a student, if you can listen, follow instructions, you know, be coachable. If I say, move your left foot over there, don't say why, just move your left foot over there. Eventually you'll understand why, but right now we just need to get your foot over there. And if you have a question, <laughs> the question has to be sensible. You know, I usually, when my students ask me questions, I tend to ask them 
a question right back in relate that's related to the question they just asked me. Because I always say that if you know the answer to the question, why are you asking? If you already know the answer, don't ask it. Ask me something that you don't know because question to me is a way of gaining knowledge. You already have the answers. Ask me a different question. Not for, not for this, I mean. For yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, it's funny you say that, Sensei, because I don't know if you watched uh, the last one, but I, I've decided to ask my 10 questions that everybody yeah. gets just a bit earlier because yeah. it spawns so much great shit that I want us to be able to then springboard out. Sure. So here's your 10 questions. Okay. Um, you can think about it as much or as little as you want, but first response is always a good thing. Sure. Sensei Copeland, what's the most effective move in your martial arts arsenal? My most effective move? It's the back fist reverse punch. <laughs> the back fist reverse punch. Right on. Who's the most influential martial artist in your life? The most influential? Uh, my Chinin Sensei, who just passed away five years ago. So does that count? Uh, oh, yeah. Okay. It's, it's of any time in your life. Um, who do you believe is the most influential artist of, uh, martial artist of all time and why? Uh, I would have to say Bruce Lee. Because, I mean, that's the era that I grew up in. And, I mean, he brought martial arts. You know, he, I mean, dojos were flourishing when Bruce Lee was around. Everybody wanted to do nunchucks and kick butt. And uh, <laughs> Bruce Lee is the one that did that. Uh, what excites you most about the next five years of your training? I'm still going to be doing this shit. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Good man. <laughs> so it, keep, it keeps me young, you know, yeah. so why, why, give, why give it up? Keeps us scared. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you get there? Good job. Um. You've already said this essentially, but favorite film or television martial arts, let's say who's not Bruce Lee. <laughs> um, uh, I will tell you, I think its name is Ja. Is, is, uh, is, uh, uh, he's an Asian actor, but I mean, he's, He's kind of like on the Jackie Chan side, but I can't remember Jai. Jai somebody. I don't know if somebody knows who that is, but. Isn't uh, that, yeah, I know who that is. Uh, Michael Jai White or something like that? No, 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 no. no. Not, not, not Michael Jai White. I know who he is. Mm, okay. No. Um, but he's, yeah, he's, he's, uh, he's amazing. What famous fighter do you want to fight the most and why, living or, or dead? Do I want to fight the most? Probably Bruce Lee. <laughs> <laughs> and how oh come? God, that, oh my why? God, that would be such a beating. I mean, yeah. that would be such a beating. <laughs> oh my goodness. And, and I would love it. I would love it. Why? You know what? You know what? I think that everybody thinks they're going to beat him. <laughs> they're going to be the one, the one to beat him, but. Well, you know what? That's my reason. It's not because I think I can beat them um, or even want to beat them. I just want to have that experience. Oh, you know? yeah. Yeah, the, yeah. the experience of being able to, 
you know, go at them and have them move and have them slip you and having pop you. It's like, man, did you see that? That, yeah, that, yeah. that would be awesome. Yeah, of course. Well, I will say that I, if I could pick two people to see fight Bruce Lee, I would pick Sensei Legacy and Sensei Copeland. <laughs> I'd be so excited to see those fights. I would be so excited. <laughs> I also know where your money would be, Sensei Dauphin. I think you'd, I think you'd get paid. I think you get paid. I really do. <laughs> no, I don't think so. There's that humility kicking in. I don't know if you or the people watching have seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the latest Tarantino movie. Mm. There's a great scene where Bruce Lee fights a stuntman. Back, it, I won't spoil it for anybody, but it's, yeah. uh, it's a treat. It's one of my favorite parts of the movie. Uh, back to you, Sensei Copeland. If yeah. everyone in the world could have the greatest benefit you've gotten from martial arts, what would you bestow upon them? What would it be? Confidence. All right, that's what I said. And the last two questions, uh, at least of these 10, because we got a little bit more to chat about. What is your greatest achievement and your greatest regret? Greatest, is that martial arts related or just life in general? Life in general, whatever you want. Greatest achievement, I have two lovely kids. Mm. You know, my son and my daughter, they live on different ends of the earth, but, uh, they say, they say I'm their favorite dad, so that's pretty cool. Um, and my greatest disappointment, my greatest disappointment, I don't have a lot of disappointments, but, I, but I, I mean, I've been doing martial arts for 40 plus years. I wish I would have started earlier because I, I started late by today's standard. I mean, I have kids who are six years old in my class. I mean, six years old doing martial arts? Man, can you imagine had I been, had I started, you know, way back, I'd be able to do the splits for heaven's sakes. I thought you were going to say your greatest disappointment is that I wasn't one of your kids. <laughs> <laughs> well, well some, some days I wish you were. <laughs> oh my Lord, that's too funny. <laughs> yeah. So you, you, you wish you'd started earlier, yeah. I, I do for sure, because I mean, and you know, sometimes when you start earlier, you don't get the same benefit of starting later. But I, I say that knowing what I know now, and how could you, how could you even, that's not even realistic because you don't, you didn't know it back then. But yeah, I would have liked to have started earlier and stayed and being able to stay with it. Mm -hmm. Yep, I mean, that's I one of my that, regrets for sure. I think that would be the caveat, yeah. Um, somebody commented, by the way, uh, Robert just sent me this, Tony Ja, J-A-A. Tony Ja, that's the guy. Yes, yeah. Tony Ja. Right on. If you haven't seen him, you gotta, he's good. Awesome. Um, so talk to me about the Aikido at your club. And, and is that something you do or is that something you bring instructors in for? No, well, both. We, I trained in Aikido um, after I was a black belt in karate. I uh, got graded in uh, Ann Arbor under Kushida Sensei and trained with uh, Kimura Sensei up in Toronto, local uh, Jim Jeanette, Kevin Block, these are all Aikido, you know, these guys are awesome Aikido people. And we had an Aikido program here uh, that instructors came in to teach. I didn't teach it because my, my main thing was karate. Aikido I did for me and it was to complement my karate why I did Aikido. And the mean really, Karate and Aikido, you know, they're like part of the same circle. 
but one starts like this and then the other one finishes like this, you know? So the karate and the Aikido kind of complements each other. Mm -hmm. But I don't, I don't teach Aikido at the dojo. Right on. So it's been like Sensei and his sword. Uh, he's, those, those are his two arts. And... Yeah. Sensei Dofan? Uh, I want to first, uh, you know, a person in Brantford, Sensei Copeland named, uh, well, when I met him, he called himself Master Westcroft. Westcroft. It's okay if you don't, I, I wouldn't, it wouldn't be surprised if you don't know him. Yeah, I don't, I don't know the name actually. Okay, so I, uh, I wanted to tell this story. Um, Does he I, know me? I, yeah, oh yeah, he knows you, yeah. Um, so, and everybody on this call is going to know that he for sure knows you, or knew you, for a brief, <laughs> for like a meteor, for a brief moment in time. Um, West Cross. So, so, when I had my club in Brantford, mm. Uh, there was a person there who used to, he called himself Master Croft. Uh, and actually, to be honest with you, I thought he moved really, really well. He was an older person and he had taken Gojuru and he had practiced a lot of Tai Chi and he would do all of the Gojuru katas in a Tai Chi type speed and format. And actually, I thought he did really well. Like it looked really good. And uh, one day he and I bumped into each other. This was in a, a health club. Uh, where we were both teaching and I don't know how it came up but he said uh your name came up and I I remember just kind of stopping and I said uh how do you know Sensei Copeland and he said well I fought him once in a tournament and then this guy wasn't looking like a fighter right so I uh -huh. said uh oh yeah well how did that go and he said well the first thing I did when we went in the ring is I took this stance I took this I don't know uh -huh. Wing Chief that stance. And I said, Oh yeah, and what happened? He said, Sensei Copeland started to laugh at me. He said, What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, and then what happened? I said, and then what happened? And he said, Well, the referee said go, and five taps later it was all over for me. <laughs> okay. So I wanted to tell that story about you because uh, I just think it speaks to your persona and, uh, <laughs> and a lot of the things we're talking about. But uh, I, you know, and you said it was going to be a boring conversation, but it has not been boring. <laughs> yeah. Time has flown by really, really quickly. Oh, wow. Uh, I don't want to, I don't want the call to end uh, ever. <clears throat> um, but I do want to give you an opportunity to talk about uh, Tara Chen and I know he's a super important person in your life and uh, you know I know he passed away five years ago I know he he was an amazing instructor and yeah. a, a pie like a, a pillar of uh, of karate and I just maybe if you want to share how he's impacted you or your thoughts on uh, Sensei Chen and what he yeah, did for you it was um Again, you know, it's a, that timeline thing, which I'm not good at timeline, but I mean, I was always passionate, like I said earlier, about the martial arts. And when I trained, when I, when I was leaving Windsor to train, go to Hamilton to train, I would drive to Hamilton uh, Friday night to do the black belt class, sometimes drive back Friday night or Saturday morning 
to come back to Windsor to teach my three classes on Saturday morning. So that was a constant battle because not battle, but a constant travel because what I wanted was there. I had to go get it. And, you know, as the years went on, I, I said the same thing to Sensei Warner. I said, Sensei Warner, I'd like to continue my training, you know, and uh, I remember him saying, and he says things like this, well, Conrad, there's nothing else I can teach you, you know, and I'm like, well, yeah, but of course, there's lots you can teach me. He says, no, you should, you know, you should think about training, continuing on somewhere else. So I sought out Sensei, uh, Sensei Chinin, Terry Chinin, and the first time we met was at a seminar in Hamilton. And um, uh, he came in, uh, Brian, Brian Alexander was the instructor at the time who brought him into Hamilton. I think it was Sir John A. McDonald's school. Th those I kind of remember, but the timeline was kind of weird. But I so I'm all excited because I'm finally going to get to meet him. And I want to be able to, I want to become his student. I want, this is going to be my new sensei, you know? So I get there, we get in the thing, everybody's in the gym, kind of like stretching out. We're actually, I think we're in the cafeteria downstairs, um, stretching out. I go in, I change, and I'm against the wall, like in, facing the wall, I'm practicing, you know? I, I don't know exactly what I was doing, punching and kicking or something, but I was practicing. But everybody else was just kind of like sitting around. And, you know, Chin and Sensei always, works with an uke. Since as you know, you know, you gotta have a uke is what makes you, right? I figure the important instructors and okay like a, a pair. You know, they complement each other. And uh, I'm over against the wall and class starts and he points to me and says, come here. And I didn't do anything, you know, I didn't think I did anything. I was just I was just warming up getting ready for the class because, you know, I'm kind of, I want to do this, so I want to be ready. So when we started, I'm with, he called me over, and now I became his okay for the entire weekend, just from that one meeting. And what, what I was, what I heard earlier is that you look like, the, you, like look, you look like you're the only one who came to practice. Everybody else was sitting around, stretching, well, you know, kind of socializing. Well, I was, you know, trying to, you know, trying to get ready. And I asked him, I said, Sensei, um, I would be honored if I, could, if I could be your student. And he said, come to Gashuku. Gashuku is where summer training. It's a week long. It's in Spokane, Washington. And I said, I will come, but uh, um, I would like to be your student. He says, come to Gashuku. So it's not, you know, Gashuku is in Washington, man. So I, I went because he said, go there. So I went there like in my previous thing, you, you go where, you know, you need to go to get the things that you're looking for. Went to Gashuku. Yeah. It was a one week, probably nine, 10 hours a day training. I am not, I am not kidding. We started in the morning and we went home when he said, okay, see you tomorrow. I mean, you have your little water breaks, you have a lunch break, but you don't plan on anything else. And um, the week was over, <laughs> and I said, I'm never coming back to this place. Never. This is, <laughs> this is, I am never coming back. That was, that, was, that was my thing. That was it. That was wonderful. 
He didn't say, yes, you can be my student, you know. I never got the answers. We just trained. And um, I find the following year, I'm back in Spokane. And the following year, and the following year. And then he's been, he's been here at my school, jeez, uh, so many years. My students who are uh, my black belts, who are now running their school, he's come to their school, you know. So it's been, it's been, um, it's been an amazing run with him. Um, my karate, the the base of my karate was was already in there, but you know it's kind of like the iceberg thing, you know. You've got the iceberg sticking out on top of the water, but in the bottom, this is where all the good stuff is. That's what I got from Chuyen Sensei. Mm. This is this is where the meat, the meat, and you can't see that at first. You just have, like Sensei Legacy said, you got to hang around long enough mm. to get underneath the water to get to this good stuff, you know? And um, it's, it's the, uh, it was one of the most saddest time of my, of my life, you know, cause I'm usually a pretty happy guy. When he passed away, it was, it was not a good time at all. And we try to honor him every year. You know, it's, uh, it's amazing. You know, the first couple of years we've gone to Spokane where he's buried to celebrate you know, his life. And we, we usually try to do that on the anniversary, but COVID is messing up my whole feng shui. So it'd be nice when that's over. Yeah, we, should be, we should be competing at your tournament last weekend. Like it's mm -hmm. messing up everything. You know, I, I, I got up and I said, what day is it today? Ah, man, what? You know, <laughs> so we, my girl, I have my, my daughter next year. says there's only three days, Sensei. Oh, yesterday, that? today, and tomorrow. That's yeah. it. There's no more days of the week. There's no. only yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Exactly. Exactly. You know, but um, uh, yeah. it, it was it was uh, it was an amazing it was an amazing run. Sean it was an amazing run. Well, I'm sorry that he passed, and 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 I'm sorry that you miss him, and and I get that. Um, so one thing I just want to say to the people watching, like, since it old fan, I'm pointing where he is on my screen. Uh, <laughs> Without COVID, he's at least an hour and a half away. Sensei Legacy, over two. Sensei Suino's four to five. Pardon me, that's not from Toronto. Eight. That's where I go to get my karate. You're talking about that. Sensei Dolphin does the same with Sensei Legacy. Sensei Legacy used to come to Toronto to get his martial arts. Sensei Suino went to Japan to visit his sensei. If you're watching and you can't get to class across town, <laughs> go fuck yourself. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> I'm yeah. sorry, but yeah. what I wouldn't do. Do something else. You know, there's a bunch of red lights, and sometimes the train comes across oh. the track. I need to find I a closer dojo. Yeah. Listen, I sakes. Yeah. <laughs> no, I was going to say that, I mean, when you think of those journeys, I mean, they're absolutely necessary, and that's why, that's why, you know, we are where we are, and that's why we have the people that we have. I mean, Sensei Legacy had to do it, Sensei Suino does it, you know, Randy is doing it, um, Sean, you're doing it, I mean, we have to. I mean, we drove, I drove from Windsor to Hamilton, 
where the snow, the weather was so bad that you cannot see the front end of your, of your hood. And you see these hands? You see them? Yeah. Well, I had white knuckles driving back. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> white and and that that is no exaggeration. And but then but then the following week you do it all over again. And when you, you didn't think about it, it was just like okay, Friday night, boom, Hamilton Black Belt class. You go down, you get beat up, you train hard, whatever, you come back and you you'd go, you'd get the information, you come back and you depart it to your student. And that's that's how it was. Yeah, I don't I don't try and share too many thoughts in these interviews because I like to just listen. But I really think a lot of it has to do with online culture, where everyone wants to stay available to everything at all times, and they don't therefore do the one thing at a time. I'm getting in a car this weekend and I'm doing martial arts. That's all I'm doing. Instead of oh, but I have to maybe be available to the other thing that may be happening, and. Uh, yeah, I've noticed that that's even a battle I have to fight with myself. And because uh, I'm, I'm a kiss younger than some of you. And so it's, I really just love these stories and those, those drives. I've got a photo on my Instagram coming back from a 12 hour workout at Sensei Suino's. Mike Russell's on the call. The snow we came out was that high on my car. Yeah. And I was like, fuck, I got to get back for tomorrow morning. So we just drove and we, yeah. same thing. We snow plowed our way home in a vintage 911 and it was glorious. We'll never forget that day. And if you wanted so fun. I didn't. I just went to Sensei Suino's house and slept on his couch. <laughs> I was like, you're, you're crazy, Benson. I'm, the, I'm not driving. <laughs> yeah. No, if you, want it, if you want it bad enough, you'll, you'll go through whatever you have to go through to get it. And the unfortunate part is like maybe in today's society more than anything else, you know, we all want things, but we don't all want to put in the effort to get that, those things. That, you know? That's but, a common. Everybody wants to get paid. I mean, I ask my guys, who would like to... Who would like to get paid? Who would like to get paid for doing nothing? Like you one or two guys put their hands up. Everybody wants to get paid, but not everybody wants to do the work mm -hmm. that it common takes to trait. get paid. You know, it's a common trait. My I'm philosophy is my philosophy. They should pay you. They should pay you what you're worth. Sounds good to me. <laughs> so, so if you work, if you work real hard today, you're gonna get paid really good. If you didn't work really hard today, you're not going to get paid really good. Uh, Who's responsible for that? You are, you know? So when you go to class and everybody's forcing around and you're supposed to be out there doing your knuckle push-ups or doing whatever you're supposed to do, you know, whether the teacher's watching you or not, that's all on you, 100%. St students only need an instructor to guide them, set them on the right path, Provide them in, with the information, and then they go ahead and do it. And then you should, right. be able to, you should be able to come back and say, "Sensei, look what I did. Look, look what I've done with what you gave me. That would be ideal. That would be the most. That would be." Somebody asked about the ideal student. Here's an ideal student for you. I give you this. You go away. You come back and you show me this. I'm like, oh yeah, I like it. Okay. And then you know, you know what Sensei does with this? He does this. Gives it to you, and you come back and you go, Sensei, look, this is awesome. Thank you so much. And, and this just keeps going. That's, that would be ideal. Far and few between. Yep. Um, there's, a, there's a saying that a couple of my friends and I who decided to give up drink and have, and it's, uh, I want to know everything, but I just don't want to learn it. 
<laughs> makes sense. Makes sense, right? No, no, it makes absolute sense. Uh, I know a lot of guys like that who have uh, black belts. <laughs> yep, makes sense. Don't know anything. <laughs> um, Sensei Copeland, you, you're, you're, we're well past our hour and a half, by the way. Holy and cow, man. Yeah, no, this is how this goes. People think this, this, it's going to be pulling teeth. It's the opposite. This, is, this has been such a pleasure for me. I know the other gentlemen are going to have a chance to chat, but, you know, I've seen you for years. I've respected you for years. I've wanted to be around you for years. And now I feel like I've gotten to know you just that much better. And I cannot wait to get in that car and come to your dojo if you'd have me uh, when we can do all that. Because um, this is just such a pleasure to hear your, your approach to all this. And you know, if you're watching this and you don't, we, you don't want to go train right now, I'm not sure what's going on. Like my blood's kind of going, okay, I want to, I want to compete right now so I can practice my ring entry. Um, <laughs> and I want to go train right now so that I can take what Sensei Dauphin last gave me and do that with it. And, you know, I, I hope many of you on this call are pulsing with that. I'd be shocked if you aren't. Um, so I just want to say thank you for joining us. And I, I really can't wait to see you in person again. This is such a pleasure. Um, Sensei Suino? Yeah, you know, uh, uh, the more of these we do, the more I am beginning to appreciate the fact that um, the, the, the elder statesmen of martial arts um, are kind of, a, a, kind of a, uh, a council of elders. There's this thing that martial arts gives us. We, it gives us patience, the ability to tolerate pain. There's a kind of wisdom, right, that the world can really use right now. There's so much conflict in the world, and so much of it is due to lack of patience, lack of mutual understanding having not gone through real hardship. Um, and Sensei Copeland, I just want to thank you for being part of that. Um, your words are, uh, not just your words, the iceberg part of your words, uh, uh, it's so powerful. And um, I just, I, 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 and the, the other folks that we've had on these calls, um, thank you for being, being part of the good in the world today. Thank you. Um, if, if you don't mind, Sensei Dofe, I actually want to read something that's been going around the, the, the Instagram, Twitter today that is exactly what you just said. If you walk into a martial arts gym, you'll see police officers mixing with ex-criminals, the rich mixing with the poor, all races working together to help one another get better, regardless of class, social status, or religion. There are no false pretenses or judgment. There's only love, respect, and unity. The world would be a better place if it were like a martial arts gym. 100%. Amen. 100%. 100%. Yeah. Love you, Conroy. Yeah. Love you. I love you more. <laughs> Ooh. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Sensei thing, Oh, sorry, Hanchi, pardon me. Uh, the thing I wanted to say to you was uh, you're a great martial artist and the world will recognize it. Soon, somebody will come knocking to your door. Thank you, Sensei. Like the Black Belt Hall of Fame. Ooh. I'm already black. <laughs> <laughs> and I have the belt. <laughs> and famous. And um, famous. <laughs> Sensei fan. Yeah, you know, um, when COVID-19 started and I was thinking about, uh, you know, how do you keep everybody together? How do you help the students? Uh, how do you help all the people who uh, deserve to be helped? The instructors give them this idea kind of popped into my head and I bounced it off of you and I bounced it off of Sensei Suino and I bounced it off of Sensei Legacy and everybody is like, yeah, that's a go. Like that's a, 
that's a hard green light. Like, let's get that foot down. And as Dom Pryor says, speed of implementation. And we did that. And uh, we've had some amazing people on this call. Like, they're, and we're going to have more amazing people coming. But I, I honestly, like, I, the people that are on tonight, uh, Sfino, Setsu Copeland, Setsu Legacy, I just got to say, these are the most influential people in my martial arts uh career ever like these people that are on here so this is an extreme treat for me uh, i learned some things from, uh, more things from sensei copeland tonight it's i learned things from sensei Sfino tonight i learned things from sensei legacy tonight um so regardless of what all the other motherfuckers got out, out of this i got something and that's the most important thing to me so um, um, you know, I like what Sensei, uh, Sensei Copeland said about being an uke. I'm going to take that away and think about it because I've been blessed to, uh, to have been Sensei Legacy's uke for a long time. And I, when I think about that, I think about actually all of Sensei Legacy's best students were his ukes. Like they were the people who had to go up to the front with him and experience it with him. So that's something I'm going to be thinking about. So thank you, Sensei Copeland, for putting that in my mind. Um, I also like what Sensei Copeland said about traveling and just doing it. You know, I moved to KW when I was a purple belt and I still drove down to Sensei Legacy's classes three, four, five times a week, nonstop, nonstop. And I'm still going to keep driving. I don't, I don't give a shit. I'm going to drive forever. And I'm so happy that, you know, between Sensei Legacy and Sensei Suino, I've been all over the United States with them. I've been all over, I've been to Panama, Dominican Republic, Venezuela, Okinawa, Japan. What an awesome life. Like I am so, I am having such an amazing life. And I just want to thank uh, Sensei Suino and Sensei Legacy and Sensei Copeland for helping me uh, to live this incredible life. I'm eternally grateful. I'm so blessed. Uh, thank you very much. You're all like amazing men. I have nothing but love for all of you. Well, Sensei Copeland, you get to take us home as our guest of honor tonight. Well, thank you. Um, you know, it's, 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 for me, it's, it's an honor to be here, first of all, like seriously, because this is not something that I was expected, expecting to do or even wanted to do. I mean, I did it because Randy asked would you? And I said, no. He says, well, come on. And I said, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, and I mean, out of respect, and I mean, I've known Randy for a long time, like you said, but um, we all have the same thing in common, the martial arts. And, you know, we've been through things. We've been to places. We've met great people all because of the one commonality that we have, the martial arts. I mean, if we weren't in the martial arts, most of the places that we've visited, most of the people that we've met, we wouldn't have met. I mean, the martial art is the, is the, is the one thing that has kept us together throughout everything. So for me to have this opportunity to, to share and to meet Sensei Suino for the first time virtually, you know, um, for me, it's awesome. Um, since the legacy, we've been around for a long time. We're like, you know, a couple of old guards okay. and, uh, I have nothing but the utmost respect for, for you guys. I, I, I have to say though, but for, for the legacy crew, especially, 
And I mean, we have uh, a death's got great people, um, you know, people that I've come in contact with often, but Legacy's crew are always strong, respected, you know, like Sean, I've never, you're always so gracious when we meet and, you know, some of uh, Randy's students, I mean, it's amazing. That is what the martial arts does. That's what the martial arts, you know, brings to us that mutual respect, that, you know, that uh, cohesiveness, the friendship. We have a bond. Randy said, if I call, he'll come. I don't even have a second guess. Like, can he come? Will he come? He'll come. And I would do the exact same thing. You need me where, when? And we'd be there. So half car will travel is a model we used back in the 70s. You know, half car will travel. Will travel. That's it. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's a done deal. Sensei Suino, it's been a pleasure meeting you and chatting with you. And uh, I love the fact that you've been in Japan so many times. You know, I love that place. I've been here a few times. I love it. Sensei Legacy, you've been awesome, man. You've been... You know, you've been, you've been one of my biggest cheerleaders for a long time. I know that for a fact. You're always so gracious to me, and I appreciate that. And Randy, you're always, you're always pumping me up more than you should. But yeah. uh, I think that's why you should run for office, and we will vote for you. <laughs> you know, seriously. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for, for uh, pouring in everything. Sorry. I just want to keep my head down and keep doing karate sensei. That's all I want to do. Well, sometimes it's not a bad deal, you know what I mean? But Sean, um, you've been absolutely gracious and you didn't ask me any embarrassing questions, which was good. And uh, uh, this, was, this was a lot of fun for sure. I didn't want to do it. Just yeah, so I know you didn't. I know you didn't. I'm glad you did. And by the way, um, you know, Hanshi Legacy, I got to tell you, I haven't seen you smile and nod this much, and I know you've loved every interview, but that's such a treat for me to watch him agree, but not just agree, remember and connect with, with what you're talking about. It's a real treat for me to see that from, from my sensei. Um, everybody watching, thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for staying with us to the end like you always do. Thanks for starting a little bit early. Um, next week, we have Kyoshi James Freeze. After that, we have Hanshi Legacy back because we literally just scratched the, the, the surface with him the first time. Um, 8.30, same bad time, same bad channel. Get your questions ready. Do some homework, because, man, when you know who these people are, you come in again. We've got our first repeat guest. This shit's going to be off the chain. Thank you so much. Have a great night. Don't touch your face. Thank you, guys. Good, Thank you, sir. Good night. Drive safe, travel safe, and be well. <laughs>